hello hello and welcome to another episode of down the rabbit hole um it's a midweek and on this week uh you get me obviously because i'm the one talking so um yeah it's brandon always um before i even start want to once again thank everybody all the listeners um whether it be here or on the stations where we're played and everyone that continues to support us thank you thank you thank you um it is awesome to have listeners and have emails and messages from listeners with all sorts of crazy ideas so keep them coming keep letting us know what you want to hear uh email us down the rh at protonmail.com or you can message me on Instagram, and it's Mr. underscore B underscore 666. And remember, Mr. is spelled M-I-S-T-E-R underscore B underscore 666. Um, thank you all again for listening, and we'll just get right into today's episode. Today, I'm going to have a little bit of fun. Um, we're going to talk about Mothman. Um, and I, and I, I will be honest, I know a lot of people when I was researching this... Um, and a lot of like YouTube videos I watched and everything else went straight to the Mothman prophe- prophecies, um, the book or the movie. Um, I'll be honest, I stayed completely away from those because I wanted a different look at this. Um, I, I've seen the Mothman prophecies years ago, long, long time ago, like pretty much right when it came out. Um, I've, I've glanced over the book but never fully read it. Um, so really, this was just research on everything else. And like I said, I kind of stayed away from those. Um, even not saying that they're bad in any way. Just that is the what most people jump right to. So I'm going to go from a little bit of a different angle. Or try to at least. So, so the idea of the Mothman, for those that don't know, um, it, it starts off in the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Um, which, I mean... West Virginia is not known for much, um, so might as well be known for a moth-like creature. Um, yeah. So, and in the town of Point, Point Pleasant, um, you know, the residents have a landscape that was once claimed by France by a 17th century explorer, namesake battle site, many swear as the first of the Revolutionary War, and, of course, the Mothman. Um, he's very interesting. Uh, it's one of those things too that a lot of people don't realize kind of you know we're gonna we're gonna talk about him and where his story per se kind of starts but I also want to go back a little bit into where a lot of people think that it actually began um, and it's a very interesting thing called Lord Dunmore's war so so Lord Dunmore's war also known as Dunmore's war uh, was a brief conflict in the fall of 1774 between the British colony and the Shawnee and the Mingos in the Trans-Appalachian region of the colony south of the Ohio River. The war included events between May and October 1774. The governor of Virginia during the conflict was John Murray, 4th Earl of Dunmore, who in May 1774 asked the House of Burgesses to declare a state of war with the Indians and call out the Virginia militia. So we're not going to go deep into the war. That's just kind of a quick overview of it. Um, but it really came down to um, that the the Americans and the British pretty much went after the Shawnee Indians um, or Native Americans. They went after the Shawnee 
and really hard went after the Shawnee. And the Shawnee were kind of going back and forth on which side they were gonna gonna go after, gonna basically help, and which side they weren't. Um, and it kind of was a weird and interesting thing. But what it came down to was during all of this. And like I said, if you really want to know more about this, I mean, look it up. I'm I'm really glossing over it, just because I really want to get to the corn to Chief Cornstalk. So Chief Cornstalk was a Shawnee leader in the Ohio country in the 1760s and 1770s. His name in the Shawnee language, which I'm going to totally mess this up, and we all know I will, is Hakoleskwa, H-O-K-O-L-E-S-K-W-A. Um, little is known about his early life, which is very typical back then, because I mean, they, they, the, the predominantly, you know, white people were the ones that survived, um, didn't really pay attention to the history of the native Americans. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of things lost, you know, with the native Americans and, and some of that. So, and the Shawnee, so so they believe he was born in the province of Pennsylvania. So in 1763, he reportedly led a raid against British American colonists in Pontiac's War. Uh, he first appeared in historical documents in 1764 when he was one of the hostages surrendered to the British as part of the peace negotiations ending Pontiac's War. Um, when the British American colonies banning, expanding into the Ohio country, Cornstalk played a major part in defense of the Shawnee homeland. He was a primary Shawnee war chief in Lord Dunmore's war, leading Shawnees and Native warriors against colonists in the Battle of Point Pleasant. After suffering defeat in that battle, he became an advocate for Shawnee neutrality in the American Revolutionary War, which began in 1775. So he, you know, basically said, you know, we just we're going to stay out of this. We don't want to. We're just we don't want either part of it. We don't want to help the Americans. We also don't want to help the British. We're just going to do our own thing. So, but there was many Shawnees that fought against the Americans, hoping to regain lost lands, because of course, the British told the Shawnee um, and many tribes that if they helped the British, that when the British won, they would give those lands back to the Native Americans. Um, we all know that's bullshit, but that's what they told them. Um, so many Shawnees fought against the Americans, but Cornstalk was um you know among the few who basically just said we want neutrality because he was afraid of what might happen if they backed the British and things didn't go right. So in 1777, Cornstalk made a diplomatic visit to Fort Randolph in Virginia, hoping to learn uh, American intentions. He and three others were imprisoned by the fort's commander, and that was one of the things that they did basically at that point they pretty much had rule or a, a a thing going that if any shawnee they were all supposed to be taken into custody as soon as they saw him um there were some american militiamen that were killed by natives near the fort and in retaliation soldiers executed cornstalk and all the other prisoners um and his murder enraged shawnees and deprived them of an important voice of moderation so, and like I said, I'm kind of glossing over this quite a bit, but um, in his death, he basically, a lot of people believe he cursed 
the land that would become Virginia and eventually West Virginia. Um, here's the words, at least the stories, say that when he was shot um, and killed, that he laid there. And I mean, there's many stories. You can kind of go back and look. Um, because his son was one of the people that got killed too. Um, and look more into this. Like I said, I'm, I'm glossing over it quite a bit. Because it's just kind of a, a precursor to the what we're going into. So this is what supposedly Chief Cornstalk said to his, his killers. I was the border man's friend. Many times I have saved him and his people from harm. I never warred with you, but only to protect our wigwams and lands. I refused to join your pale-faced enemies with the red coats. I came to the fort as your friend, and you murdered me. You have murdered by my side my young son. For this, may the curse of the Great Spirit rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted in its hopes. May the strength of its people be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. So that is the belief, anyway, that of what he said as he was dying. And he basically cursed the land that became West Virginia. Um, and there's many tragedies that have been blamed on this curse. And I mean, if you look at West Virginia, I mean, West Virginia, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much just cursed to begin with. Um, 1907, the worst coal mine disaster in American history took place in Mon Monaga, Monaga, West Virginia on December 6th when 310 miners were killed. 1944, 150 people were killed when a tornado ripped through the tri-state triangular area. 67, the devastating Silver Bridge disaster, which we will get into here in a bit when we start talking more about the Mothman, sent 46 people hurtling to their death in the Ohio River on December 15th. 68, a Piedmont Airlines plane crashed in August near the Kanawha Airport, killing 34 people, or 35 people. 1970, on November 14th, the Southern Airways DC-10 crashed into a mountain near Huntington, West Virginia, killing 75 people on board. 1976, in March, the town of Point Pleasant was rocked in the middle of the night by an explosion at the Mason County Jail. Housing the jail was a woman named Harriet Sisk, who had been arrested for the murder of her infant daughter. On March 2nd, her husband came to jail with a suitcase full of explosives to kill himself and his wife and to destroy the building. Both of the six Sisks were killed, along with three law enforcement officers. 1978. In January, a freight train derailed at Point Pleasant and dumped thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals. The chemicals contained the town's water supply, uh, contaminated the town's water supply, and the wells had to be abandoned. 1978, in April of that same year, the town of St. Mary's, north of Point Pleasant, was struck with tragedy when 51 men who were working on the Willow Island power plant were killed when their construction scaffolding collapsed. So, I mean, that's just, I mean, some of them. So, there's been many other strange occurrences, fires, floods. Most would say, however, that the floods are a natural part of living on the river. Although Point Pleasant was almost obliterated in 1913 and 1937. Might be hard to tie such natural occurrences into a curse, but what about the 
barge explosion that killed six men from town just before Christmas 1953 or the fire that destroyed an entire downtown city block in the late 1880s. Some have even gone as far to blame the curse for the death of Point Pleasant's local economy, an event linked to the passing of river travel and commerce. So that is just a few of the things that has happened in West Virginia. I mean, besides just the curse of living in West Virginia. Um, for any of my West Virginia people, I, I'm sorry. I just never really had any urge to go to West Virginia. Um, someday I should. I do have... Surprise, surprise. Um, my mother is from West Virginia. So I do have family in West Virginia. So if there's any Valentines in West Virginia, we might be related. Um, and no, that doesn't mean I'm going to date you. My family's from West Virginia, but that I ain't that much of a West Virginian. Um, <laughs> so that's just kind of that... that beginning piece that a lot of people think that that curse is part of what the 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 mothman is is he the the manifestation of chief cornstalk's curse or is he something else let's talk a little bit about him so basically uh the mothman so he was a, a terrified the Point Pleasant residence in the 1960s. Um, so, kind of some of the some of these. This one here it, it isn't corroborated very well. Um, it only comes up in a few places, and some people question whether or not this is uh, is can be verified. So, this is one that was one of the stories that keeps coming up occasionally, but wasn't verified very well. It's one that actually was didn't even pop up in. The Mothman Prophecies or any of the other books from that time that talked about this. But this is one where a lot of people think may have been one of the first sightings. Um, th there's a lot, of course, like anything, there's a, there's a lot of speculation on when the first sighting was. So, but on November 12th, 1966, in Clendenden, West Virginia, a group of grave digger diggers working in a cemetery spotted something strange. They glanced up from their work at something huge sort over their heads. It was a massive figure that was moving rapidly from tree to tree. The gravediggers would later describe this figure as a brown human being. So this was the first, like I said, some people say it was, some people say it wasn't. A reported sighting would become known as the Mothman. An elusive creature that remains as mysterious as it was on that night and still is. So... Three days after the gravedigger's initial report in Point Pleasant, which was near, near there, um, two couples noticed a white-winged creature about six or seven feet tall standing in front of the car that they were sitting in. So, eyewitnesses Roger Scarberry and Steve Mallet, I'm guessing it's Malay, uh, told the local paper, the Point Pleasant Register, that the beast had bright red eyes about six inches apart, a wingspan of ten feet, and the parent urged to avoid the bright headlights of the car. Um, what's interesting on this is that, yeah, it was the two couples, the Scarberries and the Mallets. Um, they were in their car, um, out by the TNT plant. Um, basically it sounds like they were, they were out there on like a, cause it was a lover's lane, but I think it's really weird. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't alive in the sixties. I ain't that old. Um, Big D might be able to say something about that. Cause I think he is old enough. Um, I think he was alive in the sixties, but he probably wasn't necking at that point. Um, 
but yeah, they, they were basically up there. It sounds like they were out at there as a couple, which is weird. I don't know. Maybe they were swingers. I don't know. That seems just kind of weird that they would go up as couples, especially because these weren't just like dating it from everything I could find. It sounded like they were already married couples. So I'm wondering if they had some pineapples on the car or something like that. Something weird was going on. So according to the witnesses, the creature was able to fly at incredible speeds. Um, they tried driving away and it chased their car. And according to them, they had the car up to at least 100 miles an hour, and it was keeping up with them, in fact, going in front of them. So they said he was very clumsy on the ground. Some of the things that I read said they, they basically kind of compared him to being on the ground as moving like a penguin, kind of waddling like a penguin when he was on the ground, but when he was in the air, very nimble. Um, then, yeah, they chased him through this... Uh, Basically, towards town in the air, and then scuttled in a nearby field and disappeared after they, he landed. So, knowing how absurd this must have sounded to a local paper in a small Appalachian community in the 60s, Scarberry insisted that the apparition couldn't have been a figment of his imagination. He asserted the paper, if I had seen it while well by myself, I wouldn't have said anything, but there was four of us who saw it. So, there was four witnesses to this that time. At first... Reporters were skeptical in the papers. They called the Mothman a bird and a mysterious creature. However, they did print Mallet's description. It was like a man with wings. And so we've heard different, that there's different descriptions as you go. Some of them say like a, a man-type figure with wings and no arms. And then others will say that he had wings and arms separately. So he kind of, as always... You know, as these things go, they kind of evolve as the stories go. So there were more and more sightings reported in Point Pleasant over the next year as the legend of Mothman took shape. Uh, the Gettysburg Times reported eight additional sightings in the short span of three days after the first claims. This included two volunteer firefighters who said they saw a very large bird with large red eyes. The one part that doesn't evolve much through all of this is the large red eyes. Newell Partridge, a resident of Salem, West Virginia, claimed that he saw strange patterns appearing on his television screen one night, followed by a mysterious sound just outside of his home. Shining a flashlight toward the direction of the noise, Partridge supposedly witnessed two red eyes resembling bicycle reflectors looking back at him. So the anecdote remains a popular one in the Mothman mythos, especially since it allegedly led to the disappearance of Partridge's dog. So to this day, some still believe that the fearsome beast took his beloved pet. Because there's some weird ones on that. Because if you go deeper into uh, Partridge's story, he claims that the dog went after whatever it was, the Mothman ran out there after him barking like mad and then suddenly just was gone. And then the next morning when he went out to track and walked out to where the, the animal would have been standing, you could see the dog's tracks going up to where he would have been standing and then running around in a circle. Like he was circling him and barking and then just gone. So the only explanation would be that the Mothman picked him up and took him, took him away. Um, because I love dogs, I'm going to definitely believe in my brain that he just took the puppy as a, uh, as a pet. So 
Um, that's then don't tell me otherwise. I don't want to know. I, I don't want to hear about it because I know what other people believe. So yeah, I like dogs and I don't want to hear about a weird mothman eating them. So yeah. So there is a Dr. Robert L. Smith. They have to throw the L in there. Um, cause he's a doctor with the cure. <clears throat> If you catch my drift on that one. But Dr. Robert L. Smith, an associate professor of wildlife biology at West Virginia University, dismissed the notion that a flying monster was staking out the town. Instead, he attributed the sightings to a sandhill crane, which stands almost as tall as the average man and has bright red flesh around its eyes. Makes sense. Um, the explanation was compelling, especially given the number of early reports that had described the creature as bird-like. So... Very interesting thought there. Some people hypothesize that this scene was, this crane was deformed, especially if it resided in the TNT area, name that locals gave to a series of nearby bunkers that were once used for manufacturing munitions during World War II. It has been suggested that these bunkers have leaked toxic materials into the neighboring wildlife preserve, possibly affecting the nearby animals, which is very possible because that TNT area did become a super fun site. Um, uh, and for you that don't know, um, like I said, my, my background is demolition and construction and and safety. A super fund, not fun, fund site is a site that gets money to clean up a hazardous waste. You know, mistake. Uh, Hanford in Washington is one. Um, Love Canal in New York was a super fund site. Um, the Point Rustin in Tacoma was a super fund site where there was toxic hazardous materials that had to be cleaned up and that the government gave extra money to companies to clean up the mess um so this tnt factory was considered a super fun site um and was cleaned you know cleaned up i don't know how cleaned it was though so so there's another theory that suggests the, cre suggests the creation of the Mothman was the work of one very committed prankster who went so far as to hide in the abandoned World War II munitions plant where some of the sightings occurred. The theory posits, posits that when the national press ran with the Mothman story, people who lived in Point Pleasant began to panic. Locals became convinced they were seeing the Mothman and birds and other large animals even long after the prankster had given up on the joke, which is very possible. This is something that's been... been proven to have happened in the in the past you tell a, a population that there is something and then they see it more it's one of those things i can even you know it's i always forget the name of this theory but you all know what i'm talking about um but uh it's affirmation or something theory but basically you you see what you want to see um to prove your point um, it's kind of one of those things when we talk about all the accidents, even at the very beginning of this episode, when I talked about all the, the horrible things that have happened in West Virginia, I want to prove a point that there could be a curse and that curse caused all these horrible things to happen. So of course I look for the horrible things that have happened in West Virginia and I can come up with them. And it's the same thing you run into. Like when people want to say, you know, a certain area is bad, they can look up and find all the bad things that have happened in that area and not look for any of the good. So it's confirmation bias. There's the word I'm looking for. Confirmation bias. So it's very possible that that's what happened. Once the Mothman story started, anytime anyone saw anything a little bit out of place, saw a weird shadow, an airplane flew over, there was a shadow. Oh my God, it's the Mothman. Who knows? That is very possible. 
So, uh, another thing it is worth noting that the Mothman legend bears resemblance to several demon archetypes found among those who experience sleep paralysis, which may suggest that the visions are nothing more than the embodiment of typical human fears, pulled from the depths of the unconscious and grafted into onto real-life animal sightings when people panic. Another very real possibility. And then there are the paranormal, paranormal explanations. Um, many complicated theories weave in and out together with aliens, UFOs, and precognition. Um, the, M and, the, the men in black pop up in this. That they were there at the same time. Some people even believe that the Mothman might be a man in black. If you go back and look at our episode, the men in black were harbingers of doom in some beliefs. Which in many believe that's what the Mothman is. So, there have been many black figures. Cloaked black figures, sometimes with wings, throughout history that have believed to be harbingers of doom. Which many believe is what the Mothman is. Did he cause? Because that's the big one. We mentioned, you know, all the sightings started in 1966. And they culminated pretty much 13 months later. On December 15th, 1967. Which is like we said earlier, was the Silver Bridge collapse. Now the question comes in, did the Mothman caused the silver city silver bridge collapse or was he there as a harbinger of doom because it was about to happen was he a watcher was he just there to watch and see it happen is that why he did nothing to stop it did he not know how did he not know how to communicate was all the signings because of this so many questions so many questions on why he was there, and why pretty much his entire, you know, sightings all culminated with this collapse. Now, the collapse of the bridge, like I said, seems to be the culmination of this. So on December 15th, 1967, just over a year after the first Mothman sighting, there was bad traffic on the Silver Bridge. Now, the bridge was originally built in 1928, and it connected Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to Gallipolis, Ohio. And I say Gallipolis, but I've heard it pronounced multiple ways. It looks like Gallipolis, but I've heard that the Gallipolis is the correct pronunciation. Um, the one thing to remember here, too, is this bridge was built in 1928. In 1928, a Model T weighed 1,500 pounds. In 1967, the average car weighed 4,000 pounds. The other thing is, is in 1928, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of traffic crossing that bridge, so there wouldn't be as many cars. In 1967, it was stopped traffic that was basically parked on this bridge. So it was a lot more weight and pressure on this bridge than anybody ever would have suspected in 1928. A lot more. So um, the engineers that built this bridge hadn't been really imaginative, um, or thought about what could be on this bridge in, you know, 40 years. They pretty much saw what was on it now, and that's where they stopped. And that's where 
many times when you see failures on structures like this um, or on roadways is because people aren't thinking of what it's going to be like later. They're just thinking about what it's going to be like now. And that's why a lot of times when they finish projects, they're already out of date because they were just thinking about now, not later. And that's what happened here. They basically weren't expecting cars to be that abundant 40 years later and to be that much heavier 40 years later. So the bridge's design featured very little redundancy, meaning that if one part failed, there was almost nothing to prevent the entire bridge from failing. And on December 15th, which is my son's birthday, he was born many years later, but on December 15th, that's exactly what happened. So without a warning, a single eye bar near the top of the bridge on the Ohio side cracked. The chain snapped and the bridge um, failed. One thing is, is a lot of people talk about the fact that this bridge hadn't been inspected in years. I think I think one of the things I saw, I've seen multiple where one I think said 14 years, another said 16, 19. I've seen many years. But on the other side of that too, a lot of people have said that and engineers have said that even an experienced inspector would not have seen this because it was under the concrete. Would not have been an obvious, you know, problem. But that's what happened. So it failed. And when it did, um, it fell to pieces and plunged the cars and pedestrians. Anybody who was on that bridge pretty much got thrown into the water of the Ohio River. Now, you got to figure this is West Virginia, middle of December, and the Ohio River. So, we're thro people thrown in this river. 46 people died, either by drowning or being crushed by the wreckage. And from many things that I read, 44 bodies have been found. The two... There was two bodies that were never found. So they're either under the bridge and buried or they just floated off to nowhere. So following the Mothman sightings, the bridge collapse was the second terrible and bizarre thing to put Point Pleasant on the map in a year's time. So it didn't take long for people to start making the connection. So in 1975, author John Keel uh, wrote the Mothman or took the Mothman sightings and the bridge disaster and combined them into a book while creating the Mothman prophecies. Um, he also incorporated UFOs. There's some weird stuff in there. Um, so if you read that, it's very interesting. Definitely something to read. I mean, it's very good. The movies, you know, eh, okay. They mix, they mix some characters up in that and bring them together into like, Really, um, one of the main investigators, John Keel, in fact, um, he's actually split up in the movie um, between two different characters. It's quite interesting, but um, so it, decades after it happened, you know, the the legend started to wane and everything else. But in two thousand two, when the book, the movie came out, um, it rekindled interest in the Mothman. So it's one of those movies, I'll be honest, it's not a bad movie. I have issues with it just because I'm one of those people that if someone speaks weird to a movie, it'll drive me freaking batty. Um, and I don't like the way that Richard Gere speaks in the movie. It, it just annoys the crap out of me through the whole movie. Um, it's kind of like Batman 
One of the reasons I don't like Christopher Nolan's Batmans, I don't like the way he talks. Um, I find it just completely ridiculous. But So in the film, Richard Gere plays a reporter whose wife seems to have witnessed the Mothman shortly before her death. Finds himself inexplicably in Point Pleasant several years later with no clue how he got there. He's not the only one having trouble explaining himself. So it goes off on a whole different thing. And that's one thing to remember. It's like, you know, we've covered a couple of different times where different, like how movies and reality don't always mesh. And this is one where they kind of hit, but not really. So if this is all you know of Mothman is from the movies, definitely look into some of the other things. Um, the other things with Mothman, um, I kind of mentioned it, that he, the harbinger of doom idea, um, the idea that... Um, he is just, he's a man in black. Um, there's a whole nother thing in here. Indris Cold is another thing that comes up. I'm not going to go deep into Indris Cold. He's something that might be brought up later in another episode. But um, definitely interesting. So this is definitely an episode. I know this probably isn't as long as the, the ones I normally do. Um, but this is one I just kind of wanted to skim across. Um, and give you guys an idea to look at. Because, I mean, it, it's just a fun, interesting, really kind of, you know, breaks the the deep darkness of the episodes that I, I've been researching. Uh, especially for the one coming up next week. Um, yeah, definitely look into the Mothman. Check it out. There's some other things that come in here. If there's something I missed, let me know. Like I said, this is a little shorter episode. But it's one that I just kind of want to have some fun with. But definitely check out the oh, Mothman. Look in the Men in Black that that come in here. Indus Cold is another good one that I might have to check into later. But there's not a there's some there, but not a whole lot. But definitely look into these. Um, and on that, have a great evening, and I will talk to you soon.